The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. We're going to pray for peace once again. So you just bow your heads with me after we pray. Uh, we'll get into our study of Hebrews as we've been the last several weeks. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here to celebrate with us the baptism of Dan, uh, uh, Devin and Cain as they came. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God of abundant peace. The greatest peace we have is that you made peace between yourself and us by sending your son to die for us, that though we were once sinners and lost, Lord, and deserving of all the punishment that we are, that Jesus loved us so much that he gave himself on that cross and in the burial and the resurrection, and we might live forever. Father, we continue to pray as we have the last two or three weeks for peace in, in this world, especially in the, amongst the nations of Russia and Ukraine. Father, we do pray that, uh, that uh, you would remind us that vengeance is yours. Father, that we lay all, all that at your feet. We especially pray for brother Christians and sisters who are amongst those who are uh, unable to leave or who are staying to assist in the care for and continued uh, work among people who need extra help, whether it be physically or spiritually. Father, we pray, we give this all to you, but most of all, we pray the gospel that we've talked about and sung about and we'll preach about here in a moment would be abundantly clear to all those who do not know it, that, Lord, in the midst of such uh, chaos, that uh, your love, your peace, your everything, Lord, would shine brighter than all. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for Tyree Baptist Church. We give wisdom to all those in leadership on every side, but we do pray, Father, that this war might end and that, Father, that, that people would seek you more than anything else. Father, forgive us our sins. They are many, but thank you that Christ's mercy is evermore. We pray all this today in his name, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, we are we do not have a PowerPoint today. PowerPoint is uh, having some hiccups, so if you're taking notes on the back of your, your uh, little bulletin there, I'll cue you in on those as we go. We'll kind of uh, say those a few times, but uh, if you came for the PowerPoint, we're, uh, you're out of luck today, so sorry. Um, Hebrews chapter 3 is where we'll be today. Hebrews 3 will be in verses um, 12 through 19, and today's uh, sermon title is The Dissection of the Heart. Dissection of the Heart. Many of all remember back in your junior high days, perhaps, that you uh, were given a frog or some kind of animal, feral pig, whatever. And uh, some of you relish those days where you got to uh, uh, play doctor, if you will, on that poor little animal as it was. And the rest of us were squeamish and called in sick on those days because we didn't care for such things. Some of you struggle with operation. Remember that game where you take the little thing and it buzzes? I mean, that's about as much exhilaration about that as you get. Whatever it is. But today we're going to dissect the heart. Not physically. There's no specimen up here spiritually. So if you're able this morning, as we do here, uh, if you'll join us in standing in honor of God's word as we read together, we'll be in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 19. Continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called Greater Than. We have seen that Jesus is greater than all the prophets. He's greater than all the men before him, the angels, the law. He's, he's the fulfillment of everything. And within that fulfillment, he's greater than Moses is what we saw just a couple weeks ago in 
We're continuing that thought as the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, makes the point that Christ, the buck stops with him. No one is ahead of him. Teresa, I agree, and I love it. If you, I love our babies because they keep us, and I love it. I love hearing the babies talk because if you ain't crying, you're dying, as they say. And so uh, that's, that is a truth there. So let's read together Hebrews 3, 12 through the end of the chapter. He says, so take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we come to share in Christ, verse 14, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. And it is said, you've heard this before, guys, we read it last week, but here it is. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For we who, excuse me, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those, verse 16, who left Egypt led by Moses, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Today's passage, if you're visiting with us or a regular, is what uh, Chris said. And I asked Chris to read a very tough passage this morning, and I appreciate him doing that as he did. There are some passages of Scripture that just give you the, the warm fuzzies, right? There are some passages of Scripture like today that really just kind of, it just shoots it straight. So that's what we're going to do today, all right? We're just going to go and do the Bible, verse by verse, as it was. So let's pray together. We're going to dissect this. Can I use that word? We're going to dissect these verses, verse by verse, and we'll do our best. But today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, it's everything that it says it is. It's your word, Father. It's, it's without sin, without stain, without error, without any impurity. Father, there are hard passages. Maybe not hard in the sense to understand, Father, but hard for us at times to accept because, quite frankly, we are hard-hearted people and hard-headed people at times too. So, Father, this morning, speak through me, not because I am anything special, but, Lord, may you use me, may you use your word above all, may your spirit be among us, we pray. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people say, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, you do know that on a more formal level, that some of you are big CSI fans. Is that show still around? I really don't know. I'm asking in general. CSI, like the fifth rendition, Miami, Kansas City, like that is city for every show. But CSI was a big thing 20 years ago. We wanted to see how the crime scene investigation worked. And, of course, it was in Vegas, right? So what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, they say. All these great nostalgic things. But the one thing that always tips a crime show is the autopsy itself. Because when someone dies, they always have to know why. It may be natural causes. It may be unnatural causes. It may be that they, they choked when the, when the Chiefs choked a couple of weeks ago. You know, It could be any of those things. Was it natural, unexplained, medical, whatever? But the doctor has to sign off on it. They sign the death certificate. And if they're not sure, especially if they're not sure, they send it to the coroner. And the coroner is basically, he's basically given the task or she with the idea of finding out why they died. Usually in murder cases, sometimes in extreme medical cases. But the results are printed there in a coroner's report, and they are documented. And, and, and that is what it is. It's an autopsy. They literally 
go through and figure out why did this person die? And if we know why, we're going to put it on the official death certificate. Sometimes they don't know, most of the times they do. Well, friends, as we just read our passage today, I want you to know that God's autopsy report, where there is no spiritual pulse for God or heartbeat for Christ, is where most people are in this world. They have a heart that if it dissected and looked at spiritually, would have no heartbeat. Now, physically, their heart is beating, but the autopsy performed by the Holy Spirit in Scripture is one that it shows them for what they are. And you know in the book of Hebrews, it is one of the most evangelistic books. It shares the gospel more, perhaps, than any other book in the New Testament itself. People who have a heart that is hard or dead, spiritually speaking, may look nice, they may have a good laugh, they may be healthy, but when God sees it, he sees a dead heart. He sees people as they are. This is why Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and of the good. And next month will be in Hebrews 4. It says that all are laid bare before him. He sees it all. God knows it all. And so that's why that saying, have you ever heard this before? Maybe you've given this advice before. I have. Saying trust your heart is one of the worst pieces of advice you can ever give someone. Can I just be really dire for a second? Hitler trusted his heart. Mussolini trusted his heart. You may not be that extreme. We may not be that extreme, but the heart is deceitful, Chris, right above all things. Who can understand it? And you know what? I'm terrified to imagine who or what I'd be if God had left me to myself. You ever thought about that before outside of Jesus Christ? That the love for sin that you had might have destroyed your life or others' lives, but God saved you despite you, and he brought you into himself, and that dead spiritual heart, he gave a heartbeat. And when people see it now, they see hopefully a heartbeat for Christ. And it's a timely reminder to us that sin is what causes our heart to be spiritually dead. Samson was the strongest man. Solomon was the wisest man. David was a man even after God's own heart. But sin can outsmart, outpower, and overcome you too, just like it did all of those three and a list of more people. So this morning, how is your heart? Is it hard before the Lord? Is your heart in need of revival? Is your heart truly not saved? And that's what the big idea is. You're visiting with us. The big idea, the summary of the sermon, if you will, is on the front page of your bulletin. And it says that people rarely fall away from Jesus quickly. The road of apostasy, the road of uh, just denying Jesus, is paved by seemingly small, unrepentant sins that callous the heart. And our prayer should be, Lord, let us never find comfort with any degree of abiding sin. Look, if God speaks, listen. If he leads, follow. If he convicts, repent. If he rebukes, surrender. If he encourages, you rejoice. If he promises you something, have hope. But you need to know to be open to your heart is only to be open to him. Don't be open to anything else. Trust your heart, the Bible says. No, it doesn't say that. It says trust in the Lord. Hollywood would be out of business quickly if they couldn't say trust your heart because every chick flick, I can use that phrase, starts with someone telling him, go trust your heart. My, if I trusted my heart, CeCe's Pizza would be out of business pretty quickly, and you know that, <laughs> that for some of y'all. This morning, six straightforward, quick marks of a spiritually dead heart. Six things. Before we get there, though, I just want to remind you about this. You say, why are we preaching on this? We know this, Pastor. Well, we're going verse by verse. That's number one. We have a commitment here if you're visiting. We have a commitment here to go verse by verse through the Bible as best we can. That's our commitment. 
Second thing I want you to know, these are the next verses in Hebrews. So it just logically makes sense. That's where we're going. And finally, I don't assume that everyone in this, even, even regular churchgoers here, are Christian. I'll never make that assumption. Even at every conference I've been amongst pastors, a pastor who preaches the gospel is a good thing. Because even amongst pastors, there can be those who truly don't know Christ. They know religion, they know how to run the show, but they've never met the God of the heart. So this morning, six reminders about a spiritually dead heart, what it means for us. The first one is this, and I have my bulletin up here too to fill in blanks with you, PowerPoints down. The first one in verse 12, as you will see, is a degenerate heart, or, or you might say a depraved heart, a de degenerate or depraved heart. If you can't spell it, fill it in the best you can. It's, it's there. And in verse 12, he says, take care, brothers, lest any one of you have an evil, unbelieving heart. No, that can't ever happen, Pastor. How can anyone, your first point, how can anyone ever have a degenerate heart? I mean, think about this. I mean, on a horizontal level, someone may be kind to animals, help old ladies across the street, give money to charities, give likes on social media and kudos and all those things. But on a vertical level, God says their heart is what? evil. They're not born good. They're not born with a clean slate. Circumstances didn't dictate it. The Bible is very clear here. It says, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. This heart is literally um, taking a whole scripture here. is foul. It's wicked. It's depraved. It doesn't matter if you provide for your family. It doesn't matter if you're popular. It doesn't matter if you, you have an evil heart. That's not my estimation of it. That would be what we say is God's estimation of your heart. And Jeremiah 17.9, and Chris read this earlier, heart, the heart is more deceitful and des deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ecclesiastes 9.3, Solomon says, The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their heads. I think it was Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist preacher, who said that sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Why? Because it tells you to leave behind your wife or your husband or to tell lies or to be unfaithful, or to cheat on your taxes, or to turn on that image on your screen, or whatever. It makes you stupid. And there's an insanity in the hearts of men because it tells people things that are irrational and illogical. And a spiritual heart that's dead is what Matthew 15, 19 says, what Jesus said. He said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks evil thoughts, adultery, slanders, etc. The mouth speaks. Look, the heart is the problem. It's degenerate. It's depraved. The devil didn't make you do it. Society didn't make you do it. People didn't make you do it. You did it because you wanted to do it. Look, a person isn't a liar because he tells lies. He tells lies because he's a liar. It's going to take a minute to sink in. A person doesn't steal because he's a thief. He's a thief because he steals. I want you to see that. A problem is not what a person does. It's who a person is. And when God looks on us, the heart is deceitful, and everyone on the outside of Christ has an evil, depraved heart. You know, you could have a sweet teenage girl who just celebrated her six, sweet 16 who has a pink bed with a cute dog with curls. She has all the cool, nice, fluttery phrases, you know, love, laugh, live, all the cool target things you can buy, put it up in their thing. She pats her head of the dog, and she goes downstairs and hugs her mom and dad. But if that girl doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, her heart is evil and And that goes for the youngest among us as well and the oldest. That's why we need to be saved. We don't need to be reformed. We need to be reborn. We don't need to turn a new leaf. We need a new life. We don't need to be born. We don't need to be 
born again five million times. We need to be born again one time from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can change your friends. You can change your environment. But the Bible says that the Ethiopian can't change his skin and the leper can't change his spots. Unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Martha says. And as you look on your sheet there, I'll fill these blanks. The application point I want you to take away. and the take. There's so much that we said here. But only the great physician, only the great physician can take out our old heart and implant, that should be one blank there, the word implant, a new heart. Implant, a new heart is the first blank, that pumps new life into our dead souls. Implant's the first blank, dead is the second. Implant, dead. Implant and dead. Look, if you're a Christian here today, be reminded you have a new heart you may not have a new physical heart, but you have a new spiritual heart. You have a new mind. You have new desires. You have new affections, new love. You have a new life. If you're in Christ, life looks totally different for you in everything that you do because of what God has made. The old is gone. The new has come. And if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ, you need to be thankful today. Because as we talk about this, again, this is a picture of you outside of Jesus Christ. So for some of you, it has been 50-plus years since you came to know Jesus. Don't ever forget what he's done for you. He's a great and gracious God. So a degenerate heart is the first. You ready for number two? The sign of a spiritually dead heart. It is a deceitful heart. Number two is deceitful. Deceitful. And he says there in verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of of sin. You notice what he says there. He's speaking to Christians, but he's also speaking to a congregation that may or may not fully know Jesus as their Savior. He says, we need to exhort and encourage one another. Do you know what most church people do? Most church people do this to each other. Gossip. Oh, slander. That pastor, can you believe what he did to that? They just, they swallow each other alive. And that's not what the Bible says. Christian, you are to be in church and around other Christians so that you can encourage and exhort one another as long as it is called today. Because guess what? Fox News ain't going to do that. CNN ain't going to do that. MSNBC certainly isn't going to do that. PBS might give you one fuzzy every now and then with a good old story, but they're not going to exhort you in the Lord. You need to be around other Christians. You know, we were talking to a couple friends of mine the other day, and uh, uh, they were joking with us saying that, you know, are you going to, Darren's always inviting people to church and to go to church and posting on Facebook about going to church. Yes, that's right. That's right. Why? Because you need to be exhorted. Because you need to be encouraging other people as long as the day is called today because your heart is deceitful. It can take you away. So who's he talking about here? Look, he's talking about non-Christians, but he's also talking about Christians. Christian, your heart can be deceived to think that you are okay and you don't need any other Christians in your life. Because you are just simply okay with you and Jesus. Don't go there. Non-Christian, it could be simply that you believe that you're okay and going to heaven. But this is what it says. There's deceitfulness here. Notice what verse 13 says. It says, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What hardens your heart? Sin does. Did Pharaoh harden his heart? The answer is yes. God hardened it. And Pharaoh hardened it. You may remember that. That's a, that's a great tension of Scripture. We don't have time to chase today. But the fact is, your heart can deceive you into thinking that you're okay with your sin. And you're okay. You can be taken unaware. It literally means trickery. 
And that phrase of sin in verse 13, it's, it, it, sin always lies to you, doesn't it? It promises you a good time. It lies to you about the damage to the soul. It, it, it destroys you. It does all these things. Sin always promises you a kick. But what it doesn't promise you and tell you about is the kickback that comes from the consequences of that sin. It's deceitful. And so if you're outside of Christ, you need to know that your heart is going to say things like this. Eh, it's too hard to be a Christian. It's too restrictive. Can you believe they believe those things? I want to have a good time, and I can't be a Christian. You've never been to a Baptist potluck if you haven't had a good time. I can tell you that much. But the greatest thing you need to know this morning is that your heart can lie to you. It can tell you things like there's no final judgment. It can tell you things there's no hell or you're you're not so bad or just take care of your family. You're a hard worker. Don't worry about eternity. You're all right. Friends, those are lies straight from the devil himself. The heart is deceitful above all things. We cannot deceive God, though. God tells us twice in the book of Acts that he is the heart knower. We can deceive ourselves. We can do all sorts of things that way. But I want to tell you four differences. This is on your sheet here. I want to tell you four differences, these subpoints. The difference between a true heart and a deceived heart. Are you ready for this? And I want you to see this. The four signs of a deceitful heart. First, and you'll see that first bullet. A deceitful heart doesn't know it sins because it doesn't want to. The blank is want. W-A-N-T. It doesn't want to. A deceitful heart knows it's sinning, but it doesn't care. It says, I'm listening, but it's not really. But an honest heart before the Lord will say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm open to you. Second sign of a deceitful heart is that it's more alert. It's more alert to how a sermon is the blank there, how a sermon applies to someone else. You ever heard someone say that before? Man, I wish so-and-so were here. They needed to hear that sermon. And then if your spouse is really godly, they'll look at you and say, you're the one who needed to hear that sermon or whatever it is. You've been there. A deceitful heart, Christian, will be one that says, I'm good. I got this. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. Don't go there. Third blank. A deceitful heart, when, when it isn't growing, it blames. Blames is the key word there. Blames not growing on God, the church, etc. A deceitful heart will always say, ah, it's not my fault. I'm not growing with the Lord. But an open, honest heart will say, I need to get in gear with Jesus. I'm out of sync. I'm the squeaky wheel, and I need to get the grease, so to speak, because I need to get back in line with Jesus Christ. And finally, number four, a deceitful heart. You'll see that last blank there if you're taking notes. It'll say, I'll get around to it, but not right now. Not right now. Right now is the last phrase, right now. You ever told yourself that? How many of y'all have a honey-do list at home, spouses? All the wives are smiling right now. I'll get around to that. I'll get around to that. I'll get around to that. Look, if you're not a Christian here today, I just encourage you that you won't get around to coming to Christ. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, but today. And a sign of a dead heart is one that makes excuses with a deceitful heart. All right, you ready for number three? There's a degenerate heart. There's a deceitful heart. Number three, third blank there, is there is also a defecting heart. Defecting heart. D-E-F-E-C-T-I-N-G. Defecting heart. Look at verse 14 as you're taking notes. He says, but we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Look, do you want to know who's saved? Have you ever wondered that before? Is so-and-so really a Christian? Well, he tells you here how you can know. It's not how you start that counts. It's how you what? 
how you finish. Notice the key word of verse 14. It's the same as verse 6 of Hebrews. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. It's if you finish. Many people go up like a rocket and come down like a rock for Jesus. They walk the aisle. They get baptized. They join a church. They start great, and they do what Jesus said. They get really involved. And then when the cares of the world come, what happens to them? They fall away. And you look around, and they're not there. Some of you have come up to me over the years and say, hey, we're so-and-so. We're so-and-so. Well, here's the truth. If so-and-so who professed Jesus Christ does not walk with Christ today, they never knew Christ in yesteryear year gone by. We don't believe in carnal Christians, Christian. We don't believe that you can profess Jesus one day and walk in a life of defecting heartness, if you will, for the rest of your life and then end up in heaven just because you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, signed a card, raised your hand when the angel said so. Those things don't save you. Jesus saves you. Be careful. There will be tough times ahead when that comes. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, quote, a faith that fizzles from the finish had a flaw from the first. A faith that fizzles from the finish had a flaw from the first. That's why he says in verse 14 that we have become partakers of Christ, that we are truly his if we hold fast to the end. Look, there are going to be people on that day you know who will say, I did all sorts of things in the name of you, God. And he will say in Matthew 7, away from me, I never knew you. Parents, we need to be very careful letting our kids not be duped to thinking that they are saved when they're really not saved. Many of you have grown children, and this speaks well to you. It is not a matter of your faithfulness. They have walked away from the Lord. And if they walk away from the Lord and they show that over a lifetime, it's not that they ever knew the Lord, no matter what happened during the baptism. Look, if you're saved, you are truly saved. Do we believe that? Yes. But if you're not saved, and you say you're saved, and you walk, eventually it's just going to wear out. So how are you saved? You're saved the same way, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you walk the narrow way the rest of your life? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, what are you doing? And the question is, how is your heart? Are you defecting back to the old ways? I mean, you might even say, I used to know so-and-so who did this and, and did that. And, and, and Pastor, he was a Christian years ago. I mean, he's still a Christian here today. Look, is he saved? Probably not. Was he saved? Probably not. That makes us squirm. Because as Southern Baptists, and I've said this before, we have 15 million people on our church rolls, and less than an eighth of them in 2022 are active at any given point of the week. Scary. Your name can be on every church roll in Kansas City, and that doesn't make you any more saved than the devil himself. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a righteous man are established. Though he falls, the Lord holds him up. Look, when the autopsy is performed on a dead heart, it starts, well, you know, it, it looks spiritual, but somewhere along the lines they fall away. But if you're really a Christian, you are going to show signs of life. There may be seasons, Christian, where you doubt your faith. There may be seasons where you question your faith. There may be seasons where you walk back your faith. But I'm here to tell you, if a person who professes Jesus continues to walk away from Jesus and has no signs of repentance in their life, they never knew Jesus. They knew a Jesus, but not the one in the Bible. How do I know this? Hebrews, go read Hebrews 12. We'll be there. If you're really taking notes, we'll be there next January. You can go read about it beforehand, I promise you. We're getting there. 
hey guys, we finished chapter today, right? We are we are a third of the way. You, we are a third of the way through the book, a third of the way through the year. We're making progress, so hang on. But First John two nineteen, and Pastor Brian quotes this uh, well often. I've heard him say this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they really had been of us, they would not have remained. They would have remained with us. They went out so they might not be shown. They are not of us. Look. Christian, I mean, this is the blank, fill the blank here. If you're a Christian here today, you say, well, man, I wasn't radically saved. I just walked an aisle. I, I really came to know Jesus in the church. That's okay. What a great thing, amen? But I want you to know, and the blanks here, is that no Christian has a boring, B-O-R-I-N-G, a boring testimony. If you're a Christian, you know, sometimes you hear from these guys who've been in jail they were like a gangbanger, and then they went out and they trashed their lives, and then they heard a sermon in jail, and they got radically saved, and then they're a pastor or a preacher or whatever, and they go to conferences, and you're like, whoa, why did God not save me like that? Christian, he did. You had a dead heart. He made it alive again. It may not have been the same circumstances or same preacher or same context, but he saved you, and that is that last blank. If Christ has truly saved you, your story is astounding, and it is miraculous. Miraculous. And dare I say, even staggering. The fact that God would save you with a spiritually dead heart says more about him than it does about us. What an awesome God he is. Amen? And we have a defecting heart. Christian, you are not a boring walking testimony. Well, I was eight years old and I got saved in a backwoods Baptist church and got buried, or not buried, got baptized. You might be buried in the creek. Baptized in the creek. Look, if you come to Jesus, that's always an exciting story to tell. Because he saved you. You're going to be telling about it for all eternity. You might as well start it now. It's number three. We're moving. We're halfway there. Hang with me. The fourth is the dissenting, dissenting heart. Look at verse 15. Dissenting, D-I-S-S-E-N-T-I-N-G. The dissenting heart. He says in verse 15, he's quoted this a couple times now. As it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Yes, we looked at that last week. You can go on the website and see that. But every time the unsaved person, the person without Jesus, will harden their heart when the word is preached. Some will try to turn it off. Maybe literally, I've seen this happen in services before where they literally take their... Uh, uh, what am I trying to say there? Earpiece? Earring aid, thank you. I couldn't think of it. Earring aid, they turn it down. So they act like they're listening, but they're really not. There are some people who fall asleep. We posted a meme on our Facebook page yesterday that daylight savings time is made up by taking an hour nap during church. You know how that goes. And that's true. There's actually a biblical story about that called Eutychus in Acts 20. You can go look it up. But some people are just ready to get out of here. Look, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, there's a hardening of your heart. Some people hear the word and they don't want it. They have no interest in Christ. They have no desire for spiritual things. They want to clog their ears and say, I can't hear you, Lord, speak louder. And that is the application. It's a very straightforward point. Is that the, mo the privileged, the, 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 the most privileged and dangerous, is that first blank there, dangerous place. The most privileged and dangerous place you can be on a Sunday morning is in church. Did you know that? Did you know you're in a dangerous place today? Not because someone's threatening your life, but because the truth, this is a second life, the truth can either harden, the truth can either harden, or the truth can heal. The truth can either harden, or it can heal. And I want you to know that. 
Isn't that true? If you walk in and you share the gospel, there's either going to be two responses. They're going to reject it or they're going to accept it. They might be on the process of accepting it, sure, but at the base of it, there's rejection and there's acceptance. That's why the church will never be a friend of the world, because the world will always reject the gospel. We know that. We expect that. But the most privileged and dangerous place you can be, and Christian, this applies to you as well. If you're a Christian here today and you just go through the routine of standing in and sitting in a church every Sunday morning, because that's what good Christian people do, your heart can be hardened to the things of the Lord that you may not even know. The most idolatrous hour, it has been well said, is on a Sunday morning wherever people gather for church. Because everyone has a different conception in their mind about who God is. Let the word of God inform who God is and let the word of God heal for you who God is. That is the truth. Don't have a defecting or dissenting heart. Number five. Two more to go, guys. Two more. Number five, verses 16 and 17. Don't, uh, a sign of a spiritually dead heart is a divergent heart. Divergent. Divergent, you might say it. My mom always grew up saying window, windows. I said windows. You say crown or crayon, syrup or syrup, whatever you got. Divergent, divergent. You know what I'm trying to say. The real question is, is it root or is it route? Is it rural route seven or rural route seven? I'll let you figure that out later on. But look at verse 16. He says, for those who were the, the divergent heart, those who were heard and yet rebelled, was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with verse 17, whom has, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell? Look, he goes back 40 years. He says, you want to see a true classic sign of a heart that doesn't love Jesus. Go back to those people in the wilderness. And church, I want to remind you that though they saw the signs and wonders, there was only a handful of them that actually believed in the gospel of God himself. That's a scary proposition. Out of millions of people, only a small number of them actually were saved, to put it in New Testament language. So you apply that to most churches. A.W. Criswell, who preached at the famous First Baptist Church of Dallas, or excuse me, Truett, it was his name, was asked one time back in the 40s, how many, Dr. Truett, people do you believe in your church at that time, five or 6,000, are truly going to heaven, saved? And he was clear, I'm not the Lord, but he said, honestly, probably about 80% of my people do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's scary, isn't it? What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that a heart that is outside of Jesus, millions of that generation left and were lost. And he repeats it again in verse 17, doesn't he? He says, with whom was he angry for 40 years? God didn't just go off his handle like you did and I did one time, and he was satisfied, punched a wall, and felt better. For 40 years, his anger was over that generation. Can you imagine? Yet he still fed them. He still clothed them. Most of all, he still tolerated. But they were not saved. What did they do? Well, it says there in verse 17, they sinned. And you know that word sin means to miss the mark. It's kind of like when you are at a dart throwing board and you know you're not supposed to hit the wall and put holes in the wall, but you end up throwing a dart and it ends up on this side of the drywall and there's all the holes around. When we sin, we miss the mark. They marched in line. They sang the songs. They observed all the Sabbaths and all the festivals, but they were lost because they had a divergent heart. When you have a divergent heart, when the road says to stay straight, you're one of those people that says, oh, that doesn't apply to me. And you knock over the barrier and drive around the other way. Or some of you moms remember the car pickup line for your kids or grandparents, you do this. 
there's always someone in that pickup line that gets a little antsy, you know? Some parents show up two hours early to get their spot in line. I don't know why they do that. It's the same thing. There's always one parent that just, you can see their tire slowly looking out and they're looking around. They know they're supposed to stay in line. What are they doing? They're trying to be that one just to sneak around. Maybe I can sneak around and kind of work my way in. Or when you're supposed to merge, you know those signs, you're supposed to merge and everyone races to the very end to get that last spot. They're diverting away. They're divergently going away from what God has for them. Same is true for our hearts. Here's the application. God doesn't tell Moses an application point. He doesn't tell Moses, I am what you want, is the blank, W-A-N-T. He tells Moses, I am what I, and you know this one, don't you? Am. He doesn't tell Moses, tell them, I am what you want. That's the first blank is want. He says, tell them, I am who, is the second blank, I am, third blank, am, third blank. When we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we want whatever he wants, even if it's hard for us. And church, that's, that's a hard word for us at times, because we really want to do our own thing. Man, but we have to follow Jesus Christ. This is the mark of a true Christian. When God says go, we go. When he says jump, we say ha hi, because we love him so much. Those without Christ will have a divergent heart because they want to do their own thing. All right, you made it to five. You ready for the last one? Number six. A sign of a spiritually dead heart. Not only is it divergent or divergent, it is a disobedient heart. Number six, disobedient is the blank there. Disobedient. He says in verse 18, to whom did he swear by that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And this is the highest point of all. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. The, the highest Sin you can have against God himself is simply not to believe him for who he says he is. To put it in Jesus' words, this is blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. It's denying who God has clearly revealed himself to be and saying, I know better or I can do better, God. But he says, and to whom did he swear? He can only, he, and to whom did he swear? They would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. He tells you. Remember, rest in the Old Testament was the promised land, the physical land but now in the New Testament, rest is knowing Jesus Christ. Christian, if you want rest in your mind, you need to seek Christ with all that you are. If you want rest in your soul, you need to know Jesus. It is salvation in him. Whenever God gives someone a new heart, they have new desires to obey God. It has been well said that if you have a new relationship with Christ, you have a new relationship with sin. Because the way you view that changes radically. And you want to do the way of the Lord. And so that's why... The privileges. They, I just broke some of these down. Think about those people in the desert. Think about the privileges they had. You ready for some of these? They saw God deliver them from slavery in Egypt. They saw the miracles. They saw the, the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's hordes. They had water in the desert. They had manna. They had a pillar of cloud by, uh, by, by day and a fire by night. They received the scriptures, the first ten, the Ten Commandments. They were led by the greatest spiritual leader, perhaps, of the Old Testament, Moses himself. And yet, they remained in unbelief. Well, what do we have that's been given to us in America? We have more Bibles available to us on your app phone, on your newsstand, whatever. Bibles are everywhere. 
You know, the Bible is still the most produced book in the world, despite pandemics and other things. We have malls sometimes that have Christian bookstores. They're kind of going away, but they're still there. We have Bibles that are printed. In, in, in If you're a sportsman, you can have an outdoorsman Bible. If you're a, a race car fan, you can have a NASCAR Bible. I don't know how that works, but you figure that out. We have kids' Bibles. Look, we are the most privileged of every generation because Sunday after Sunday, we get to hear the church, come to church and hear the truth. What a privilege that is. There's many in Ukraine and China and fill-the-blank situation around the world that would love to be in the seat you are, to know the truth you have. So Christian parents or family, let's remind ourselves this morning, if you're a young family, if you're a grandparent today, remind yourself that if you have the Word of God, you have the greatest treasure to give to your family. Sure, it's okay to give gifts at Christmas and birthdays. We're not saying that's wrong. But you have the greatest truth that God loves them and has a plan for them and that they are disobedient, but yet God loved them anyway. Come to him. The last application we're going to give you this morning, and we'll close with this, is that you must, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you must be willing to admit that you are at, this is that first blank, that you are at war, W-A-R, war with God. We don't look at it that way, but we are. Outside of Christ, we are at war with God. That's the first blank is war. And you will never know how to surrender. Surrender is the last word. Surrender. This morning, you don't need any more makeup, clothes on the outside. You need to get right on the inside. We will move on from Hebrews 3, but for some, this is your day that God brought you here. And we're so glad you're here. But I want to tell you this morning that if you leave this house, of unbelief. The scriptures will tell us in a couple chapters that you trample underfoot the very word of God, the blood of Christ. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, we just encourage you. Uh, I'll be up here after service, or, or, or after, during the last song. If you'd like to talk more about that or set an appointment, we'd love to do that. But church member today, would you look at me one more time? Church member today, you walk out of here knowing that those six signs of, an, of, a, of a spiritually dead heart, you may have flare-ups of that, but God sees a new heart in you, and he sees a redeemed heart in you, and he loves you despite what you were, where you may fail today, but he's going to take you with him forever because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Amen. Awesome God we serve. Let's pray together. Invite our worship team back up, and we'll close out our service. <laughs> Fathers, we come to you. We are grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to be among your people. Father, I do pray if there's anyone here online or in the parking lot or, or in church itself that does not know Christ, Lord, it, the gospel has been preached. We are sinners. We, we need save, saving only through Christ alone. We deserve the worst, but at the cross you gave us your best. We know that this word is true because your son, Father, has risen from the dead. He has come back to life that we might have life and life eternal. And, Lord, we also know that you're coming again, the promised second coming. It may not be in our generation. It may be. We don't know the day or the hour, but we trust that whether we are taken, uh, Father, out before we die in your second coming or we or die and go into your presence, that we are held eternally secure all because of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the one who came, the perfect Son of God, sinless Son of God. Lord, we love you so much. This is a tough passage. It's one our church knows well. But, Father, protect us. Lord, help us from any abiding sin as our 
big idea said, Lord, may it never be. May that be true in our church as a corporate body, may it be true as individuals and families, widow, widowers, young, old, whatever we are. May you be lifted high. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. And before Brian speaks, if you're here today, and we don't often do this, but if you're here today and you'd like to talk more, I'll be up front. And during the song, you're welcome to come down. We'd love to talk more with you. But why don't we stand together as we close in our last song today? Be thou my name.